right, this morning we'll finish up our, our series in the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 will be our passage this morning, Philippians chapter 4, and we'll be looking at verses 10 through 23 of that chapter. Uh, I will say uh, this chapter, or this book, has been a, a challenge, I hope, to all of us, and it's been a way of, of just growing more and more in love with Jesus and, and how we can uh, uh, choose joy in spite of what's going on around us. And of course, the series has been uh, Joy Ride, taking joy rides. You know, uh, I student taught in Elkhart, Indiana, several years. I didn't plan on telling you this, so here we go. Uh, but Elkhart, Indiana, and uh, there was a town probably about 20, 30 minutes from us called Goshen, Indiana. Goshen, Indiana. I'll tell you what they did in Goshen. They cruised every Saturday night. They'd just drive up and down. Yeah, that's what we did for fun. Uh, but but that was their joy ride. They would just choose to just go back and forth. And, you, you know, you, you did that for, you know, pretty much all, all evening. And it was just their way of just, uh, uh, I guess, connecting and fellowshipping. And that's how they, they did their joy ride. So uh, I don't know if we should start that in Shelby or not, but it's a... It's a uh, I'll just throw it out there. Here we go. Joy is that unshakable assurance that God is in control of all the details of our lives. The confidence that ultimately we can trust God in everything that comes into our lives and the determined purpose to, to praise him in all things. You know, as we introduce this again, as we talk about this uh, section of, of scripture, uh, I'd like to piggyback on a psalm that just kind of helps introduce this to us, and it's Psalm chapter 90, Psalm chapter 90, and in verses 1 through 4 <clears throat> and 12, we, we, we see some, some just neat thoughts from the psalmist. It says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And it says, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. And then verse 12, it says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us. You know, here, here is, is a great principle of how we're, we're told since, since every day is a gift, Lord, help us use every day for you. May we number our days. And, and when we do that, it gives us a heart of wisdom. And I, and I share that section of the psalm because it, it moves us right into where Paul was, how he was one who definitely used his days wisely. You know, how he focused on, on rejoicing always and, and not being anxious but praying and thinking right and, and being content, as we'll see in this section this morning. Um, and, and what's great about Paul, it wasn't a circumstantial joy. It was a, a joy because he recognized the future and he recognized who was holding on to the future. 
So as we, as we look at this section in chapter 4, he shows contentment, he shows gratefulness, and, and there's a, a gift from the church that he's praising them and thanking them for. So, so let's just go ahead and, and read verses 10 through 20. Will you follow along? It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Again, Paul talking to this church in Philippians that he started in Acts 16. It says, indeed you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it's like to be in need, and I know what it's like to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Stay with me, verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. And then it says, I've received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gift that you sent. They are, look what it says, fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And then verse 20 says, to our God and Father be glory forever. So as we go through this section of Scripture this morning, what, what we see here is there's some aspects, there's some principles on, on giving and receiving. On, on giving and receiving. And despite the circumstances Paul was facing, he, he sought to apply these principles. So the first one is this. The first one we see in verse 10, and that is uh, a principle that we all need to uh, practice, and that is gratitude. Gratitude. I rejoice greatly, verse 10 says. There's, a, there's an attitude that, that Paul shows here that, that demonstrates a, a joy to the church, and he's showing them thankfulness. And, and, and this was a church that was special to Paul. It, it started in Acts 16, where Paul's there, and he meets Lydia and some, some ladies, and, and a church began from that. And, and, and he's thankful for this church. And, and, and he expresses that thankfulness. Uh, they had supported him financially. And, and, and what's great about this principle, I think it's something we can all work on. And, and it makes us more like Christ when we practice gratitude. I'm thankful. For you, I'm thankful for what you're doing in my life, and, and and it's a good reminder for us here this morning as we as we begin through this. Paul Paul shows us a great practice. A great practice for all of us is an attitude of gratitude, and, and he's rejoicing here because his need was met. Because of this church. And, and he says, you, you, you care about me. You have a concern for me. We see in verse 10. And, 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 and he's not flattering the church. 
He's just, hey, church, thanks. Thanks for being behind me. Thanks for, for supporting what God's doing. You know, as we began the book in, in verse 3 of chapter 1, uh, Paul says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. You know, there's a, there's a, a, a great uh, uh, peace in Paul's life because this church had, had really been behind what he was about. And, and I'll tell you, it's neat to have a church like that. You know, Pleasant City Church is a church that's behind what we're seeking to accomplish here in this community. And it's nice to have a, 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 a people group like that. Not all churches are like that. But gratitude, let's practice that. Let, let, let's realize the importance of being thankful people and, and demonstrating gratitude. And then another aspect to this is, is, is we see in verses 13, 11 through 13, and that is contentment. Contentment. And it's cool because as we think of this, you know, Paul, remember, was in a prison cell when he wrote this. And he's saying, hey, contentment is, is where we need to live, where we need to be. And it says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content. It was something that he had just grown as a, as a follower of Christ. Uh, the old King James says, in whatever state I'm in. I've learned to be content. So you can be content in New Jersey. You can be content in North Carolina, which is a good place. You can be content in, I even have to say, West Virginia, if that's where you're from. But, but the contentment was a learned place for Paul. Whatever state, whatever, wherever he was, he, he had learned contentment. And, and what's cool is he doesn't want to come across as some poor beggar here. Um, he, he, he gives us a picture of a contentment because Christ was sufficient in his life. And, and that's what Christian contentment is, that, that Jesus is enough. And, you know, we live in a day, sometimes it's just hard to be content. We get restless. Yeah, but, but it's a, a good reminder for us here that, that contentment is unconnected to our circumstances. It's unconnected to what's going on around us. And, and I love some of the things Paul tells us in this section, but, but over in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says this. He says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And then jump down to verse 10. And we have to talk about this because I think sometimes we think the more we have, we'll be content. But it says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And then Paul tells the church in Ephesus here, command those who are rich. In other words, those in churches that have a little bit of, of means, of stuff. Command them the rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So we read that and we, 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 we recognize, hey, a godly person, when there's contentment around them, there's gain, and then money gets in the way sometimes with our contentment. It, it can... It, it, it can pierce 
us with many griefs, the passage says. But then he reminds us to remind the church, hey, if you are people of means, and, and you know what, guys? We're people of means. We have lots and lots of stuff. Um, in fact, most of you have stuff that, that you don't even mess with that's in your garage, if you have a garage. In fact, you have so much stuff in your garage, you leave your car outside. <laughs> I know, I, I can, I've got a two-car garage, but I can only get one car in. My wife has so much stuff. <laughs> it's not her. She, we, anyway. Uh, but that idea of contentment, but, but I love what Paul says here, because I think we miss this too. If we are of means, and that's all of us, I think we can agree, he provides those means for our enjoyment. So enjoy them, but have a proper perspective with what he has entrusted us with. That it is uncertain. So he, the, the, there's a, a great contentment principle here for us. Contentment means not just being satisfied with the gifts, but truly with the giver of the gifts. Be satisfied with the giver of the gift. The message puts it this way. I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. Paul's at a point in his life, you know, I can just accept whatever God throws at me. That's where he is. So contentment is unconnected to circumstances. And then there's another thought here. Contentment is, is a learned principle. It's learned, and he says that twice in verses 11 and 12, that, that, that he's learning through the process. And, and, and see, as we study Paul, he knew what it was to have lots of stuff. You know, there, as we think back to Lydia, who was one of the founders of this church, she had Paul and his team in his home, and I'm sure she uh, took care of him well at that time. So he had a lot, but then there was times where he was... Shipwrecked, where he, he didn't have so much. He knew tough times. He, he knew hardship. In fact, look what it says in 2 Corinthians. It says, three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys I faced hardship, sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, often without food, cold, and lacking clothing. So, what do we take from this? Well, prosperity's not going to make us content, and poverty isn't going to make us content. Contentment only comes as we encounter and strive to be close with Jesus. That's where it comes from. When we seek an intimacy, a, a closeness, a, a connection with the Lord Jesus. And, and Paul definitely had a strong grip on the Lord. And it was unconnected to his circumstances. He, he had learned to be content. And, and that brings us to a third thought under this contentment point is contentment flows from dependence on Christ. So has a lack of contentment, this is a personal thought for us, made us less flexible for what our mission is. When we're content, we're adaptable, we, we have freedom to go anywhere, 
to do anything God calls us to. How's our dependence on Christ? There's a third aspect to this. Again, aspects of giving, aspects of receiving, and that's partnership. That's, that, that's partnership. And I love how 14 comes into play here because he's just given us that verse that, that, that we've all probably said at times. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Of course, the context of that is we can do things through Christ as we've learned contentment, as we've learned, you know, both sides of contentment with a lot or, or with not enough. And, and that's where he comes at this from. But, he, but, but what's cool about this, this, this third thought here, partnership, is it says, yet... It's good that you were there to share in my troubles. In other words, thanks for, 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 for hanging out with me to, to help me through the process of this idea of partnership. You know, Paul, he's not some superhero. In fact, sometimes we try to make him out to be. He was a man that was committed to Jesus. He, he, he stayed faithful to Jesus, and he, he needed people just like we need people. He, he needed that partnership. Uh, uh, it's just nice of you to, to share in my troubles. And, and, and a point to this is this. God was working through his people to meet Paul's human needs. Um, you know, Epaphroditus, we talked about him several weeks ago, but he helps Paul... Uh, uh, show uh, the appreciation to the church by delivering this financial gift. In verse 15 says, As you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance when the gospel, with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Do you see the cool partnership here? I mean, this church was blessing Paul. You know, there were needs, and they'd send them a gift. And, 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 and they're, they're this church is close to Paul's heart. But what's cool about it is this. The giver is blessed when giving. Not only did Paul benefit, but, but the church benefited by partnering. So how are we doing with this partnership? How are we doing with, with this idea of, of giving? Are we consumers or do we co-labor in the work? Are we financially partnering with the work? You know, it's, there's a lot more than just, you know, being here present on a Sunday morning. There's, there's doing ministry in the church. And, and, you know, I heard someone say, and you've probably heard this, but, but you know, it's, have you given God your time? Have you given God your, your talents? And have you given God your treasures? And, and I think it's important for us all to realize that, that as we partner in the gospel, that we're to give all three. And, and sometimes it might even be easier for you to just write a check than get involved. And, uh, you know, we're a... Uh, a church that's growing, and there's a lot of, of needs. Um, there's a children's need in our church. Uh, <laughs> there's a bunch of kids over there. In fact, some of them are probably yours. 
Uh, I, that's good. But we need your help in partnering with the work. And next week we'll hear more about that and how we can challenge uh, one another in our community connect groups to, to, to serve. But, it, but it, it, again, I, I say this very respectfully. It's, it's important that we do more than just show up here on a Sunday morning and have the, hey, just give, me, just give me what I need. Give me some scriptures. Give me some good uh, praise and worship. And then we just move on, and, and, and that's all we, we do. But it, that's a, a work to be done. And again, I, I say that because many are doing the work, but, but we're all called to do the work. We're, we're to use our, our time and our talents. That's your gifting and your treasures for him. The church was a financial partner with Paul. And, and, and what's cool is we could say that Paul open-handedly gave to the Lord. He was a, a giver. He wasn't a grasper. He, he open-handedly just, whatever I have, it's yours, Lord. And, and again, this, this model of the partnering that we see here is, is, is important for all of us to grasp. Fruitfulness. The fourth aspect to this, they, that, that, I, that attitude of fruitfulness. Not that I desire gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Now, 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 now this point here, the idea of partnership, koinonias, we, we, we talked about, but, but, but it's not just getting another gift. The church made a deposit in heaven by making an investment in Paul's life. So think of that. When we're obedient as a church, as we, as we partner in the gospel, you know, there's a fruit that comes. The ESV says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. See, Paul realized that, hey, if, he, if they were obedient in their giving, they would be fruitful. We benefit. We, we get when, we, when we're fruitful givers. There's a passage Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that I think needs to be mentioned here. And, of course, it's a, a popular passage, but it says in Matthew chapter 6, Don't store for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then Jesus, again, he says, hey, you can't serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the others. You cannot serve both God and money. So, so this idea of, of fruitfulness is, is vital for us as we do life. And I, and, I, and I share that passage because, again, how are we laying up treasures? What, what fruit are we accomplishing for Jesus as his children? As his followers. Alistair Begg, one of my favorite Bible teachers, he, he said this. It's not a bad idea to have an IRA. All right? You financial people know what an IRA is. An individual retirement account. But he says every believer should have an IEA. An individual eternal account. And that is that we should be laying up treasures in heaven. So, with your IEA, 
your individual eternal account. What's in it? And when did you make your last contribution? The dividends are out of this world. That was my thought. Alistair didn't say that. But again, how are we investing for Jesus? And again, I, I, I say this because I'm, it's easy to be, I'm very self-centered. I, I like to be about me. I like to just, just give me, give me, give me. But it's, it's holding what God does give us open-handedly and giving it to him. There's three more. Stay with me on these. Aspects of giving and receiving. Worship. And we see worship in verse, verse 18. I've received full payment. I have more than enough. I mean, they abundantly blessed Paul. I'm amply supplied now that I've received this gift from Epaphroditus. And look what he says here. They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. You know, we could say, hey, here's, here's Paul's thank you note to the church. Uh, in fact, the language he used here as I researched this, it's that same type of language that we see in Romans 12, where, where Paul's telling the Romans, hey, present yourselves a living sacrifice. This is a, a, your spiritual act of worship. Uh, place your highest value on the Lord as you, as you worship him. And when we think of worship, take the word apart and just think of that's just giving God his worth. That's what he deserves. That's our, our reasonable service, giving him his worth. And I love the picture here he uses. When your worship is good, it's like a fragrant, it's a, it's just a sweet-smelling offering. It smells good. You know, don't judge me, but I... <laughs> I like to go to Bath and Body Works. <laughs> and I love those smells. I know. Again, don't judge me. I don't buy anything and I don't put anything on. I, I, just, I just like, I mean, those are just the sweetest smells. Those, uh, honey, you got your Bath and Body Works on? Yeah. Okay. I like how wear hers. Uh, she wears it. I don't. But, but it's just that those aromas, those smells. Those, you know, you think of something that you really enjoy that's, that, that's, that's a sweet smelling, something, you know, thank the Lord for that sense of smelling, yes? But, you know, what is that sweet smelling aroma? The, the, the picture, that, 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 what, what we give to God is a, is a sweet, fragrant offering to him. And, and that's giving him his worth. You know, Paul, I'm, I'm good because of your fragrant offering. He's telling this church. Isn't that a cool picture? So, so worship is seen here. And for the mature believer, giving's not a burden. It's pure joy. It's a glad act of worship. Because of your grace, you blessed me. There's two more aspects to this. Faith comes out of it. Because we see it in verses 19 and 20. God will supply all my needs according to his riches of his glory to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. And because of the provision that, that hey, it's met my need, there's, there's that aspect of faith that comes out of this. 
Uh, and, and the faith is, hey, God, you get all the glory in this. My needs have been sufficiently met. I love how Wearsby talks about this section, Warren Wearsby, a Bible teacher. He says, we might state it this way, if we were to paraphrase Paul. You met my need, and God's going to meet your need. You met one need that I have, but my God will meet all of your needs. You gave out of your poverty, but God will supply your needs out of his riches in glory. And then he said, God has not promised to supply all your greeds when the child of God is in the will of God, serving for the glory of God, then we will have every need met. Isn't that neat? So again, that aspect of faith. God, God giving, give and God will supply all your needs. Not necessarily our wants, but sometimes he gives us our wants too. But, but giving, faithful giving, with the right way, with the right motive, God supplies our needs. I love how Matt Chandler talks about this section in his book. Uh, he, he says, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. God's big enough. God's beautiful enough. God's strong enough. God's lovely enough. God's perfect enough. He's sustaining enough in every circumstances. Wherever you are, he's with you always. Isn't that a neat thought? So, God supplies our needs. And then there's the very last point. Again, aspects of giving, aspects of receiving. Family is in here. The blessings of family. Uh, and, and what I love here, Paul recognizes the family of Christ. The, 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 the people that are dear to him. And, and, and he says... You're my brothers, you're my sisters. He calls them brothers and sisters. Like we're family. Greet all the people in Christ Jesus, verse 21. The brothers and sisters who are with me, they send greetings. That partnering's here again. You know, when we think of this, and, and again, we, we, we bring this point home because that idea of family, how, how do you... How do you get in the family? Well, we get in the family when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we personally put our faith in him. And Jesus Christ is the person that our church is built on. He's our lead story. And you know what's cool? I grew up in a, in a great family, but my personal family could not save me. The good thing about my family was they took me to a church that was teaching truth. And it was at that church that I recognized my need to join the family of God. That's when I put my faith in Jesus. And that's why I can be called a brother and a sister. And, you know, are you part of the family? Are you in the right family? How do you get in the family? Well, you recognize that you're a sinner. That's all of us. Anybody not a sinner in here? There's one. No. <laughs> all sinners. Okay. So you recognize your sin. 
you realize that you can't get out of your sin unless you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. You, you, you call on Jesus. There, there, there needs to be a point in your life, on your journey, that you say, God, I'm a sinner. I recognize that only by putting my faith in the Lord Jesus can I become part of your family. And you surrender to him. And, and, and everyone who, who, who joins that family is, is, is part of the kingdom of God. You, you're, you're secure in him. You're, you're, you're part of that, 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 that hope that we have in Jesus. So, again, do you know the Lord as your Savior? Have you trusted him as your Savior? Conclusion. Paul's whole premise in this book is for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. And I, and I love this thought here. The message of Philippians is that life is lived for Christ, to Christ, through Christ, with Christ, about Christ, and in Christ. To live is Christ and die is gain. That's what life's all about. Let's pray. Lord, thanks that we can... Uh, hear what your word teaches as we think of this idea of intentionally giving it's what Jesus did he gave his life for each and every one of us he's provided a way that we can escape God's wrath thank you for that Lord as we think through this series I pray that this four chapters would be uh, great encouragement to each of us as we're on this Christian journey and thank you for these truths as we've been on this joy ride together Lord we are thankful for the hope we have in Christ in his precious name we pray amen